So if uh, you're joining with us for the first time this morning, we have been in a series looking together at the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, the Sermon on the Mount is the vision of the good life that is given to us from Jesus. This is Jesus's vision of a beautiful, compelling life that is well-lived. And this morning, as we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, we are going to be approaching one of the most popular things that Jesus ever said. In fact, it is arguably America's favorite Bible verse. And it is that, it is that verse, judge not. And even if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, you've probably heard these words. And you might even think, I don't know where it's found, but I know it's there in the Bible somewhere. And I know Jesus said it. And some of you have probably used that phrase on someone else. Some, some of you have had that phrase used on you. I was sitting around uh, on Friday night with my daughters and we were talking about this uh, passage and uh, I told them what I was preaching on and uh, my daughter Lucy, she said, oh, even I love to use that on each other all the time. That's where it says, uh, take the log out of your own eye before you get the speck in someone else's eye. And she said, we like to use that one on each other all the time. And it's fun, isn't it, to judge each other? I mean, I found myself thinking just even in this service, I was listening to uh, Pastor Robert's uh, call to worship, and then I listened to Natalie, and then I listened to Justin and Athley, and I thought, these are such judgmental leaders that we have at this church. I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm not glad at least somebody on this staff is generous and kind. <laughs> but I want you just to, uh, to, to turn to your neighbor right now and just say, neighbor, Stop judging me. It feels good, doesn't it? Now, although this is arguably one of the most popular and certainly one of the most enjoyable of all of Jesus' commands, this is also perhaps one of the most misunderstood things that Jesus said. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to kind of explore what Jesus meant when he commanded us not to judge. What exactly is Jesus calling us to do? What does it look like to become the kind of community that doesn't look upon each other with these judgmental, critical, self-righteous attitudes? And so we're going to be looking together at this command. And we're going to look at it underneath uh, four headings this morning. Number one, we're going to see the command. We're going to see what it means and what it doesn't mean. Uh, second, we're going to uh, look together at the warning. Thirdly, at the question. And then finally, at the alternative to judging. So does that sound like a good thing to do? Yes. All right, well, let's go. So number one, I want you to note the command. Jesus says in verse one of chapter seven, he says, judge not. Now, what exactly is Jesus talking about here? To understand that, I think we have to understand some things about what Jesus is certainly not saying. Now, of course, this passage falls within uh, the middle of a larger discourse of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a discourse about a radical moral vision. Jesus has moral clarity, he has moral courage, he has moral conviction, and he's laying it all out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And right here toward the end of this big, long moral discourse, Jesus looks at us and he says, judge not. In some ways, following upon the heels of what he was talking about, anxiety and worry and money, it seems to come out of the blue. But here Jesus says, judge not. And I want you to know what Jesus is not saying. Number one, Jesus in our text is not advocating the new tolerance. 
Jesus is not advocating the new tolerance. Now, of course, there is the old tolerance. And the old tolerance is one of the most cherished values of free and democratic societies. The old tolerance is captured in that famous statement by Voltaire who said, I may not like what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. I may not like what you say, I may think it's ridiculous, it's outrageous, it's outlandish. I will debate the truth of your claim, but I will do so in a spirit of generosity and love and respect. I will disagree with you, but I will love you. I will disagree with you, but I will respect you. I will disagree with you, but I will not call you names. I will not send out angry, mean-spirited tweets. I will give you space to make your case, and I will listen. This is the old tolerance, and of course, it is one of the most cherished values of our free society. But the new tolerance is different. The new tolerance says, basically, it is morally wrong to say that anything is morally wrong. The new tolerance, uh, the question is not, is it true? The new tolerance says, am I offended? And any kind of thing that you say that questions my lifestyle choice can constitute a microaggression against me. The new tolerance is concerned with, uh, with this, this issue of not offending anyone in, at any time except for people who are not as tolerant as you. And the new tolerance, of course, tends to be remarkably blind to its own intolerant condemnation of anyone who doesn't toe the line. And Jesus in our text is not advocating the new tolerance. Jesus is not advocating, he's not calling us to ignore issues. He's not calling us to shade the truth or to pretend like something is right when it's really wrong. Jesus is not calling for any of that. Nor is Jesus saying in our text not to have any moral convictions. Judge not does not mean have no moral convictions. Nor does it mean to remain quiet about your moral convictions. There is a time and a place to speak up about that which is right. Remember a few years back, I went to uh, the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and it is a sobering, kind of heart-riching experience. And it takes you on this journey of watching the Jews in Nazi Germany under that regime first being stripped of their rights and then being sequestered into the ghettos and then being carted off into cattle trains and then being taken to concentration camps and ultimately being murdered in gas chambers. And it's sobering. And as you're walking through this exhibit, you find yourself asking the question, how on earth could this happen? And then as you walk through, this answer comes to the fore. It's this famous poem by Martin Niemöller. And he said this. He said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. There is a time and a place to speak out with moral courage and conviction. 
Dr. King famously said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And quite frankly, in our own day, in our own time, we need more moral conviction, not less. We need more moral courage, not less. We need more moral fortitude and the courage to speak out against that which is unjust and wrong. And so do not judge does not mean don't speak out. It does not mean have no moral conviction. And it certainly is not the new tolerance. So that raises the question, of course. So what does it mean to judge not? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, this word judge in the Greek is the word krino, and it essentially means, it could mean specifically to refer to a judge who's looking at the merits of the case and kind of weighing the merits. But it could also mean More generally, it could refer to people who are just making harsh criticisms and judgments in their mind about the people and the places around them. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing. Jesus is talking here about harsh criticism toward others and a failure to exercise self-criticism. Jesus is talking here about harsh criticism of others and a failure to exercise self-criticism. Jesus is confronting our tendency to size people up and to write people off. Jesus, Jesus is criticized, or he's confronting you and me when we find ourselves quick to make snap judgments about people and about their motives and to walk around and to assume that we know all there is to know about people and their circumstances, and we are right, and they're wrong, and why are they doing this, and what an idiot, and how stupid, and how could they, and who was, why isn't anybody thinking? And this is what Jesus is confronting. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the critics. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. It's been said, faults are thick where mercy is thin. And let me just ask you, are you a merciful person? What is your reputation in the home, in the office, at work, in the classroom, in the church? When someone sees you coming, do they find a way to duck in the bathroom or do they internally wince? Are you critical? Do you write off and dismiss others for their failures? Do we feel like we're walking on eggshells around you? Are you petty and ungracious and ungenerous toward mistakes? Do you assume the worst motives on the part of others? The Bible says love believes all things, it hopes all things. Do you pour water on people's attempts to do right by pointing out their faults? Do you enjoy seeing the failure of others? Jesus says, blessed are not the critics. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And he follows up this command with a warning. And notice what he says. He says, judge not. Why? Lest you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus says, watch out those of us who have a critical judging spirit because, he says, what goes around comes around. 
He says there's a reciprocal relationship between the mercy you show and the mercy you receive. Now, Jesus could be saying something kind of general at this point, something to the extent of uh, you tend to get back what you give out. And I think this is true in our relationships at home. It's true, I think, with your kids, with your parents, with your roommate, with your siblings, with your grandchildren, with your adult children. Isn't it true that if you give love, you get love? And if you give anger, you get anger? And if you give distance, you get distance? And if you give sarcasm, you get sarcasm? And if you give joy, you will get joy. And so Jesus could be saying something general as in you tend to get back what you give out. But I think Jesus is saying something actually more specific and actually more sobering than that. I don't think Jesus is simply saying that in our human relationships, if we show mercy, we will receive mercy. I think Jesus is saying something here about our own relationship with God. When he talks about judge not lest you be judged, when it talks about being judged, I think the, the intent there is be judged by God. The rabbis in Jesus' day said that there were two ways that God would deal with people. On the measure of judgment or on the measure of mercy. And they believed that you could choose how you wanted to be treated by God by how you treated others. In other words, if you want to receive mercy from God, then you show mercy to others. But let me just ask you, how do you want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? I'll tell you how I want to be judged. I want to be judged not. Don't you? I mean, I want you to take into account my genes and my deficiencies and my hidden pain. I want you to remember that I'm only 5'6 and that I get insecure and that I carry scars and that I'm not detail-oriented and that I'm forgetful, but I do mean well. I want you to know that my dog died when I was 11 years old and I watched it die in my arms and I carry hurt from that. I want you to know something about my story and I want you to take it into account. If that's what you want, then remember the people around you want the same thing. They want you to remember their story. They have scars, they have genes, they had parents, they have hurts, they have a whole bunch of stuff that you don't know anything about. And we can be so quick to make judgments about stuff we know nothing about. And so he says, humble yourself, humble yourself. You don't know nearly enough about what, people's li- what people have been through as you think you do. James says, judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Or as Jesus would later say, forgive us as we forgive others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so Jesus says, look out. What comes around goes around. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus. Jesus correlates the mercy we will receive at the end with the mercy that we give out in the present. Why? 
Not because judgment is on the basis of our good works. If we're good enough, if we've been merciful enough, then God will show us kindness. That's not what he's saying. The reason why there's a correlation to how God will be merciful to you at the end with how you are merciful to people in the present is because there is a correlation between people who show mercy and people who have received mercy. When you receive the merciful grace of God and you recognize how much you need it, you cannot help but have it melt your own critical, judgmental attitude towards others. And if you're critical and you're judgmental and you're always mean-spirited and angry, then it shows that your own heart has not been melted by the grace of God. And Jesus says, watch out. So he follows the command with a warning. And then he asks this question. Look what he says down in verse 3. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? And so we refers here to Lucy and Eve's favorite verse that they like to use on each other. There's a story in the Old Testament of King David. And he goes out and he steals the wife of a friend and one of his best, most loyal soldiers, Bathsheba. And he takes her, he sleeps with her, he gets her pregnant. And then after he finds out he's preg- she's pregnant, he's terrified because he's like, I'm going to be found out. He's been out at battle. He's going to know who was with his wife. I'm going to be caught. This whole thing's going to be found out. So he winds up creating this whole plot to have Uriah, this great man who was a friend, who was a loyal warrior, put to death by putting him out on the front lines in the battlefield. And David's plan works. And Uriah's snuffed out. And David actually looks like a hero because he ends up taking this poor widow Bathsheba in and caring for her. And a few months later, after it looked like the plan had worked, one of the prophets named Nathan walks into David's office. And he said, David, David, I'm I'm wrestling with a a scenario. I can't figure it out. Could you help me? He said, "There there was this man. Actually, there was two men in a city. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man had a ton of flocks and lots of animals, and the poor man only had one poor little ewe lamb. And that ewe lamb, it drank from his his dish, it ate from his plates, it slept with him at night. He treated that ewe lamb like it was his own daughter. Well, a man came in and... uh, and, the, the, and he need, he, there was going to be a big party. And uh, the rich man was going to throw this big party. And instead of taking one of his own lambs, he goes and he takes the lamb of this poor man and he has it slaughtered and he feeds it to all of his guests. And David hears the story and he's like, what? And he says, that guy should be put to death. Bring him here right now. And he's infuriated. And Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. We possess an inbred proclivity to mix ignorance of ourselves with arrogance toward others, don't we? To be blind to ourselves and yet have an eagle eye vision into the faults of others. Or as John Stott puts it, 
We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We seem to find it impossible when comparing ourselves to others to be strictly objective and impartial. On the contrary, we have a rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. Or in the words of Jesus, we can see the speck in our brother's eye and yet fail to see the log in our own. And why do we do that? Why? Well, the answer is easy, isn't it? Because it's so much more fun to point out the speck in your brother's eye than to notice the log in your own. I mean, imagine two conversations. Somebody walks up to you and you both share the same opinion about them and what they've done and what an idiot they are. And all of a sudden, there's this delicious conversation you have about them and how stupid they are and how lame they are and what an idiot they are and what an awful human being they are and how could they and what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with the neighbors and what's wrong with those drivers. And you all just feel so good about yourself, don't you? Now compare that to somebody comes up and it says, you know what, you are really treating your, your, your wife like a jerk. Stop it. What conversation would you rather have? It's just more fun to, to, to fixate on the faults and the issues and the problems of others than it is to pay attention to the deep, ugly reality on the surface in our own hearts. So it's just more fun. And then quite frankly, sometimes we are just blind, aren't we? Sometimes we're just blind, we don't see it. I mean, the problem right now is, I bet many of you right now are listening to this sermon on behalf of someone else. (laughs) Right now, you might be thinking that there's somebody in your pew that needs to hear the sermon. But I want you to know there's somebody in your seat that needs to hear the sermon. And Jesus punctuates this in the next phrase. Look at what he says with these two words that none of us want to hear. Look what he says. He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Ouch. He sounds so unchristlike there, doesn't he? Look, if you want to know what Jesus' definition of a hypocrite is, here it is. Hypocrites are more interested in what's wrong with other people than they are in what's wrong with themselves. Hypocrites are more fascinated by what's wrong with everyone else than they are in recognizing what's wrong with themselves. You see what's wrong with your neighbors. You know, they got that stupid dog that barks all the time and they don't cut their lawn and and this and that. And you, you see what's wrong with those stupid drivers and with those leaders at the church, the pastors, what are they doing? What are they thinking? You see what's wrong with your spouse. You see what's wrong with your kids. You see what's wrong with your parents, with your roommates. And Jesus says, stop it, you're a hypocrite. What's wrong with you? Andy Stanley put it like this. He said, you know, he, he said sometimes, he says, I'll have uh, couples come in and, uh, or, or, you know, a couple is having a problem and maybe the husband or the wife will come in by themselves to see me. And they'll just go on and on and on about how their husband is the problem or their wife is the problem. And he says, he'll listen to them. And then he says, what I'll do sometimes is they'll stop and he'll draw a big circle, like a big pie on the, on the board next to him. And he says, imagine this pie represents all of the the problems in your marriage. 
He said, I just want you to draw on this pie the slice that you think represents your contribution. And he said, they always make a nice small (laughs) slice. And then he says, let's talk about this slice for a minute. And he says, it's almost always impossible to get them to talk about what they've done wrong. And you know that's true, don't you? It is so true. It is so much easier. It's so much more satisfying to to focus on the problems of others. Why? Well, because a lot of us are insecure. And maybe we've got some ugly stuff in our lives and we just don't want to pay attention to it. And we, we, we feel like we failed in life. We didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve in life. And, and we feel some of us bitter and angry, some of us angry at God. And yet we're good church going people. And we go to church and, and we look at it and all that, st- all that ugly stuff surfaces and we project it outwards and we just keep shoving it on everyone else out there. And Jesus says, stop it. And then he turns us to the alternative. And here it is. He says, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now I want you to see what Jesus says here. This is really important, don't miss this. Jesus says first, let's say that together. He says what? First, which implies that there's gonna be a what? A second. It almost sounds like Jesus is giving us a list here. He's saying, look, stop judging, stop being nitpicky about everyone else, having an eagle's eye vision into their lives while being blind to your own issues. He says, stop all of that. And he says, here's what you need to do first. Here it is. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. He is calling us to engage in self-criticism. And I will just tell you, you cannot do this alone. I remember before I uh, left uh, Long Beach, when I was back in Long Beach, before I moved out to Albuquerque, I had been overseeing a staff of about uh, six or seven people. And before I left, I asked my staff to sit down with me and I asked them to tell me all of the ways in which I had failed them as a leader. And then I held on to the sides of the... Because I know what most of you know, and that's that the stuff that's bothering the people around you the most is the stuff you don't see, or you're choosing not to see, you don't wanna look at. But listen, simply by choosing not to look at it, by ignoring it, it's not making it go away. So Jesus is inviting us to engage in healthy self-critique. It would be a good exercise, a good application for you at the end of this sermon to go home and just ask your roommate, ask your spouse, ask your children, ask your parents, hey, are there any issues you think I need to deal with that I'm kind of blind to right now? And then just hold with dear life onto the gospel that God loves you still. So Jesus says, first, Take the speck out of your own eye. And then, he says, then he gives us a next move. He doesn't stop there. He says, then you will be able to see the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus is not releasing us from the the responsibility, the difficult and life-giving and relationally building work of confronting people about stuff in their life. It is not an act of love to ignore glaring issues in the lives of people you love. 
Love actually moves us into each other's life. It causes us to confront each other, to talk to each other. And so on the one hand, love forbids us to size, it forbids me, it forbids me from sizing you up and writing you off. But love also forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. Instead, what love calls us to do is to move toward each other with grace and with humility and with honesty in an effort to help one another. Now, Jesus knows full well this doesn't always work. And that's why he says in the next verse, do not give, your, your, give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. He says, here's a little pig. You know, there's a little piggy out there. Just imagine a little piggy, Right? And you go out with a little um, a pearl, and you throw the pearl to the pig, and it thinks it's a bit of corn. And it bites down on it, and it realizes it's not corn, and then it gets angry at you, and it spits it out, and it runs after you. And now it attacks you. And Jesus says that happens sometimes. When you try to give unwanted advice, when you try to step in and say, you know, could I help you out with something? Oftentimes, those people turn on you. And so Jesus says, you need wisdom. You need wisdom. You need wisdom here. But the alternative is not simply to recognize yourself and to say, well, who am I to talk to anybody else? The alternative is to, with humility, with grace, to recognize your own issues, your own junk, and out of that humility and with that grace to be able to gently, graciously, honestly talk to others and help each other. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do in our text. Now, let me just close like this. I, I imagine there's probably three types of people in this room this morning. There are some of you in this room who right now, and you, I'm sure you find yourself in one of these three places. You might find yourself actually in all of these three places. But you might find yourself this morning in a place where you have been sizing people up and writing people off. You have sized up people in your family. You've sized up your parents. You've sized up your children. You've sized up people in this church. You've sized up uh, the leaders of this church, and you've just written them off. And here's what Jesus would say to you and me. Two simple words, or two, a two-syllable one word. He would say, repent. Repent. Stop it. You're arrogant, and your attitude is destroying people. You know, a merciful, gracious attitude toward another person can change their life. But your harsh, critical, judgmental spirit will change nothing. It can only harden people and drive them off and create distance. And Jesus says, repent. Recognize the junk in your own life. Stop obsessing about everyone else and, and what's wrong with everyone else and, and, and what's wrong with the left and what's wrong with the media and what's wrong with the president and what's wrong with them and what's wrong with... Eh, that, that. You're just always... Jesus, stop it. Look at yourself. Engage in healthy self-critique. There's a second place you might be in this morning. Maybe you're not one of those people that sizes others up and you write them off, but maybe you're the kind of person you size people up and you walk away. You, you look at them, you're like, oh, I am so sorry that you are in that mess. I was there myself. I'm uh, no judgment here. 
I'm not judging you, but boy, you, you just kind of walk away, though. You do nothing. And here's the word to you this morning. You need to confront them. Is there somebody in your life that you need to speak truthfully and honestly to? And if that's you this morning, there's somebody that has come to your mind. And Jesus would call you, yes, take the log out of your own eye. If there's an ounce of your own self-righteousness and deep-seated anger and bitterness toward this other person, you are not the person to talk to them. But if God has worked his grace in your life, he also may be calling you to be an agent of his grace and truth into somebody else's life. So you might size people up and write them off. You might size people up and walk away. But there's a third place that you might be in this morning. You might, have, you might be that person who is being sized up. You've been sized up and you refuse to listen. People have come to you, they've tried to talk to you uh, about different things in your life, and what you don't realize is they're actually putting their finger on something in your life that if you would just pay attention, if you would just listen, you would change. God could act, that's an agent of God's grace in your life. You could actually grow as a human being, you could become a more loving, a more merciful, a more winsome, a more attractive human being. If you would just listen, and God has brought this person into your life and they're speaking something to you, they're pleading with you. And here's the word to you this morning. Listen. Your defensiveness only ensures that your past will continue to be repeated into the future. Drop down the defenses and learn from each other. Learn to take a risk with those who love you. Be vulnerable and listen. Now listen, whether you size people up and write them off or you size people up and walk away or you've been sized up and you refuse to listen, all of us are the same in this one thing. All of us this morning stand in desperate and dire and daily need of the grace and mercy of God. And here's the good news, is that the judge that we will face on the day of final judgment has himself stepped into the place of the accused and borne our judgment in our place and in our stead so that the floodgates of God's eternal and unending mercy and grace might be poured out on us without measure. And Jesus would invite us to himself and to receive his grace and mercy. You know, we end our service this morning together at the Lord's Supper and in this practice, it is a reminder of the eternal, unending, unmerited, undeserved ocean of God's love that has been poured out on you and me in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus.